Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. If you are working in a field you're passionate about, you're going to have a much better internal battery and you're going to be able to persevere through those tough situations that in another instance, if you weren't as passionate about it, you might just fold and your business might go under um, because you weren't willing to put in the extra effort to push through. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 92. This episode is sponsored by the impactful, Business Leadership Mastermind. The mastermind brings together hungry entrepreneurs and business owners who want to scale their business, get their toughest problems solved, learn best practices, and build their networks. Learn more at impactfulcoaching.com forward slash BLM. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Brian Burke. Brian is the founder of sellyourmac.com a website that helps you sell your Apple products in a way that ensures that you receive top dollar. SellYourMac.com is the world's most trusted and highest rated Apple trading company. SYM has paid out $46 million plus and has helped over 100,000 customers. And of course, it's ironic that here I am interviewing Brian with my Android. So, Brian, <laughs> glad to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. By the end of the call, we're going to get you onto the Apple platform. <laughs> I don't want to show it off. It's not that nice a phone, but it's not a it's not an iPhone. Not much I can tell you. Anyway, I think I think you know the Mac folks. We can do, get into do your kids and sure. wife have iPhone? Oh, they do. They do, and they so mock you, you me. You can't share any videos then because they all look terrible when you send and, them back. And, and they mock me endlessly <laughs> about the quality of my camera and all the other stuff. But I'm a, I, I got funny. started. I got yeah. I went from BlackBerry to Samsung, and that's kind of where I got stuck. So I've been an Android user ever since. But maybe, right, well, you made, you made a big leap from BlackBerry to Samsung. So now we're having one right. more leap to iPhone. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, that is a longer conversation, and it's always nice to talk to a friend of a friend. Uh, I know we were connected by a good friend, Brian Wallace, also from the wonderful city of Cincinnati. And congratulations on being the uh, Super Bowl champion runner-ups. Um, two years two years after, two years after, I think you guys were in last place, which gives hope to my perpetually, perpetually bad New York Jets, um, who the only team I think we ever seem to be able to beat are the Bengals, but that's a different conversation. That's um, funny. You know, it is funny. And, uh, you know, football. Mary, maybe if Gary V takes them over, he'll do something. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> if we can find a quarterback one-tenth as talented as yours, maybe we will have a chance. But in the meantime, we're here to talk leadership and talk business and all that good stuff. So uh, I'd love to hear about your, your backstory. You know, sometimes people show up online and they look super successful and they've sold $46 million worth of product, you know, to people, 100,000 100, customers all throughout the world. Um, and we kind of think of them as a finished product who've been super successful all the way through. We'll talk about your biggest challenge and failure later, because that's important for us to understand. Plenty of well, that. I'm sure. I'm sure. So think about that one, because that's an important question too. But for now, just curious, how did you get into this? What's your, your background um, specifically within entrepreneurship? And of course, more specifically yet with Mac products. I feel like I was practically born an entrepreneur. I've been buying and selling products since I was a little kid. 
it technically started with jewelry sales on the sidewalk around age 10. Mm. And then I jewelry, not lemonade. Jewelry, not lemonade. No, there's not, there's not good margins in lemonade. <laughs> there isn't good margins, but I've never <laughs> seen a kid selling jewelry on the curb. So I'm curious to know about that. I was doing it on the curb. I was doing it at a camp. I was doing it at school. You know, I figured I would sell it anywhere I possibly could, and I have never been shy about it. But jewelry was not my passion. It was just something I learned early on. And then when I was 13, I used my bar mitzvah money to start buying and selling stocks. Mm. And I really had a knack for learning about technology stocks. So that was uh, something I really learned about arbitrage sales. And then I quickly transitioned to Audi car parts. I was a super big Audi fan by the time I got my license. And I, I found that you could buy stuff online and resell it in other forms and make really good money. So uh, I transitioned from that into other stuff going into college. Then I got into electronics. And basically, a lot of my friends had iPhones, or sorry, not iPhones, they had phones for sale, and they didn't want to spend the time selling them on their own. So I took it over for them and started making those sales and going around to fraternities and sororities and buying up all their old technology that I could resell. Mm, so it was, a, it was a very national, natural transition for me when I graduated college to start my business, uh, buying and selling stuff on eBay. And I really didn't like all this RAN technology. So within about a year or so, I really started focusing on Apple. And you know, that's how, I, that's how it all got started. Uh, I never wow. had a real job out of college. I just love buying and selling electronics and uh, specifically. I, I don't think I've ever had someone tell me that they've gone from jewelry to stocks to auto parts <laughs> to, uh, to technology. Um, but, but they do all share a common thread, of course, the fact that you're, that you're selling things that people are interested in, finding a way to get online and, and of course, make that product available and, uh, and sourcing it for people who just maybe don't have the time or interest to sell it on their own, but they want to make a quick buck get it off exactly. their hands. And I certainly can commiserate with that. You know, all this stuff we accumulate over the years and when you have a Too family, much. whether it's clothing or, or toys or all sorts of things. So being able, but, but not wanting to deal with it because, you know, like who has time, you know, like eBay, for example, I've sold a bunch of things or Facebook, even marketplace. It takes a lot of time. It's the back and the forth, can I come? <laughs> When's it available? What do you, will you take it for less? Yeah. For less? And all the haggling and all that stuff that goes and gets involved with it. So I think it's nice. So people have a one-stop shop. They know where to go. They know where to to engage and and, and hopefully make the um, you know the the most the most from that experience. Exactly. And you know beyond the haggling, when you get into the you know Apple products, a lot of people you know try to scam you. So, you know, that's a big reason why I tell my friends not to sell the products on their own and sell it to us. You know, they're guaranteed to get paid and it's hassle-free. Mm, I love it. So, so how, who are your primary customers then? Is it college students? Like who's, who's looking for the most part to get rid of their old Apple technology and uh, who's buying? I'd say, you know, any Apple user is our potential customer. You know, typically it's someone uh, between the age of 20 and 50 and those are people that are just upgrading their products a little bit more quickly and also, you know, are online trying to get cash back for them. Um, the college market is not really big. I don't think a lot of kids, you know, really take the time to go online. They might just sell it to a friend or sell it on their own. We'd mm -hmm. love to help out more of them. Maybe mm -hmm. we can get some college reps out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, and then we sell to everyone. We sell to, you know, kids going off to college that, you know, need a computer that's much less than retail. And we sell to, um, you know, families that are buying products for their kids and they want to get a, you know, less expensive iPad and, you know, everyone in between. 
So how are you reaching out to people? You know, it's interesting. I, I, I ran a master, I run a mastermind group, a few of them actually, and I had a session yesterday. And this one was a little bit different because uh, while I have a group that's in place and we're ready to roll, I was looking to onboard a couple more folks. And so it, was, it had a, a taster session feel to it, a little bit less, let's call it part of our core structure. And so we floated an, a question out there to people about, you know, like an idea share think tank on how to get more people to be aware of the great product or service that you have. And of course, each individual uh, does something different. And uh, I do want to get into LinkedIn in a minute because I know you're big there. And that's, I think, where besides for that referral that I mentioned earlier, that's where I've gotten to see more of your stuff and, and, and connect with you in that way. But I'm curious to know, Brian, what are your recommendations, you know, you've got a good product or a good service, you know, people are interested because, you know, we all, we all have outdated technology. We want to be able to upgrade. It makes a lot of sense, but still people need to know that you're out there. People need to know that you Certainly. can help them. So what would you say are some of the strategies that you use to make your company better known in the marketplace that could be leveraged by my entire audience, regardless of what they do, that creates that, that greater awareness and connection. So everyone can use Google. That is our number one source, uh, mainly on the organic side. And a lot of that has been built up over the years, but we've made an incredible amount of content. And we have thousands of pages of every single Mac product ever made on our website. And that just brings in an enormous amount of traffic. Um, you also can, you know, have sub, have a URL that's you know really closely related to your product, like ours is sellyourmac.com. And when people Google, you know, I want to sell my Mac or sell my MacBook Pro, we're number one in the world on Google. So that's just bought brought a tremendous amount of traffic our way. And you know, if you're not ranking right away on Google, you can use Google Ads. And this is, you know, very bottom of the funnel. People are, you know, ready to take action. So there's an extremely high conversion rate from someone searching, you know, where do I sell my Mac? And then they click on our ad. So I would tell people to use Google, everything they can, both creating content and on the ad side. And uh, you mentioned, you mentioned LinkedIn, obviously I'm getting a ton of business off LinkedIn. Just got a message literally right before our podcast of someone that saw my Apple post today that wants to trade in their gear. So mm. I tell people just start posting content. I mean, only 1% yeah. of people are posting on LinkedIn. So there's so much uh, potential for organic reach. Yeah. So, so I'm curious to know, how do you, cause I, you know, there, there, are, there's a wide range of even those who are posting on a more regular basis. I see some people they'll get, and myself included, a handful of likes, a handful of engagement, relatively speaking. And then you have some people, you know, I saw one post today that was only a few hours in. Granted, it was related to Ukraine and all the challenges going on right now. Uh, just for in full disclosure, we're recording this just a couple of days after the Russian invasion. And so it had like 20, at least 20,000 plus um, reactions within a four hour window of time. And sometimes I see numbers even higher. No, it is a lot. It is a lot. And I know that yeah. they've changed the algorithm. It seems like it's a bit, I wouldn't say feast or famine, because that implies that you really don't have much control over it. But it seems like the people who are doing well are doing really, really well. And everyone else is almost like, you know, feeding off the scraps. So I'm just curious to know from your perspective, what has worked for you that has helped you to create engagement? And sometimes, by the way, I find that there's engagement that has nothing to do with your business. And I wonder, does it really loop back to your business? So for example, let's say I'm, yes. uh, I provide medical <laughs> supplies, right? 
but I, I put all these cutesy posts out there and I get a lot of likes, or I put a lot of, you know, tear jerk, you know, emotion related type posts out there yep. and I get a lot of likes or the guy who says, you know, I've been studying for 20 years. And I finally got my college degree or whatever that is. And then they get 20,000 likes. So that's all fine and good, but I don't see how that's necessarily going to help them, you know, advance their career or sell their product. So there's got to be a sweet spot. You know, you're on LinkedIn to engage, but you're really on LinkedIn for the most part to be a business professional, to grow your business, to grow your brand awareness. How do you create both the, the flow of the traffic, if you will, of interest, but also then convert it into a sale? So my opinion, it's all about being consistent. And you know, typically people that are getting a lot of engagement have been posting you know, every day for years. You know, I post twice a day now for almost four years and uh, spend a lot of time on there. You know, a couple hours a day, typically, I'd say about half the time creating my content, half the time engaging with others. And, you know, a combination of that on a just very consistent basis will lead to good results. And the reason that those posts, um, you know, about, about inspiration and stuff do really well is, uh, you know, the audience on LinkedIn really wants to see it. And they don't really want to read about your business. So, you know, I find if I talk about my business, I might get, you know, 200, 300 likes. If I talk about someone making an amazing achievement, like graduating college in 20 years, I might get 2000 likes. And the way to convert those to business is you need to have a very catchy headline. So, you know, someone sees my headline, it says, you know, I bought $47 million of Apple products. And that is very clickable. They want to learn more about it and they're intrigued. And once they click on it, then they can go to my profile and learn really what I do. And then hopefully, you know, do business with me. Mm-hmm. So the best way is, you know, to create content that people just love to look at and have a headline that is clickable and then they'll learn more about you. You know, there's a lot of people on there that have headlines that have nothing to do with them. And you, you don't, you're not never going to click to learn more. So they're not going to get any business. But mm-hmm. as long as you're posting content, that's good. Then people are going to go to your profile. I like it. So I want to ask you a question. It relates to something that I see a lot. You know, you scroll through, whether it's LinkedIn, as we've been talking about, or Instagram, or wherever a person may be active, and you see these clips about people talking about follow your passion. People talk about sort of identifying a career path that aligns with purpose or things of that nature. And then you hear people like, uh, forget Dirty Jobs, um, something Roe, I'm forgetting his first name now, you know, sort of debunking that, at least from his perspective and some other folks as well. I'm just curious to know from your angle, Brian, true or false, follow your passion. Very true. I am so passionate about Apple. I would refuse to buy and sell Samsung devices. I have no passion for them and I couldn't get behind them and rep them properly. I wouldn't want to hire people that are passionate about those types of products. So I've built my whole business on that passion around Apple and we focus on that exclusively. I, I do think that there is an opportunity for people to do something they're not passionate about to then have the means to focus on something they are going to have passion about in the future. So not everyone can make that leap on day one. And you know, certainly I didn't either. I started off with cell phones and random technology and other computers to get myself there and you know, quickly pivoted into that space. So I think if you are working in a field you're passionate about, you're going to have a much better internal battery and you're going to be able to persevere through those tough situations that in another instance, if you weren't as passionate about it, you might just fold and your business might go under um, because you weren't willing to have put in the extra effort to push through. Yeah, there's something that you said there. I love the answer, by the way. And 
Maybe one day I will have that passion for Apple, but uh, we'll have to see. <laughs> but in the meantime, in the meantime, what I want to what I want to point out here, which I think is valuable, is that you talked about what I'm sensing is like a multi a multi layered or multi step approach. Where you know I think oftentimes what happens is that our kids, in particular, you know they're in college, they're 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 consuming all this content as well, and so they're thinking about well, you know. Gary V says, or Steve Jobs says, or somebody else says, follow your passion. Yeah. And well, I want to follow my passion from day one. And so I'm only going to work with a company that is totally aligned with, you know, these are kids. So like, they're still figuring it out, but they think they know everything yeah. as we know about kids, as we of course. think our, ourselves <laughs> were that way once upon a time in a land not so far away. Um, exactly. So the question is from an advisory standpoint, you know, but what I'm thinking here is that, yes, it's good advice, but not necessarily like you said from day one. First, yep. establish what your passion is, number one, right? You may try a few things before you really know where you want to go professionally. Like when I Very came true. out of, when I was like entering college age, I was all, you know, LA law back and I'm sort of dating myself here back to the 80s and early 90s. But uh, that was all the rage. I thought for sure I would be in litigation. I just felt that that was my skill set. And then I went. I can I see you being a lawyer. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, and I went off to Israel and I studied in yeshiva and I got really more immersed in um, Judaism, Judaic studies, Torah studies, etc. And eventually went into education. So I became a teacher and then from there I became a principal. And that's sort of how I got into the whole leadership piece, wrote my book and how I do my coaching and consulting work today. But I didn't know that that would necessarily be my path. And even, even with what I shared with you, nine years ago, I went from being an employee of an institution, beholden to a board, you know, with a fixed salary oh. and limitations on where I could source income elsewhere to being fully responsible with the help of God, but being fully responsible to make it rain, you know, and to bring in my own revenue and income through, you know, identifying my, my, my abilities and putting it out there and not just hanging the shingle, but all the things necessary uh, to grow a business. And so I think passion is important, but I think it has to sort of evolve. And I also think that, you know, it, it's, it's, it may take time. I also feel like passion sometimes evolves from expertise, right? When I'm really good at something, yeah. I can then also be more passionate about it. So I sort of see it you know, coming in from different ways. And I love That's your answer. I'm, I'm just curious to know if you had any additional thoughts there before we, before we transition. Yeah. Thinking more about it. I mean, people can do something they're passionate about as a side hobby. You don't have to make it your full-time job. So someone can go to work during the day and do their, do their passion at night and maybe let that catch up to a point where they can pivot and quit their day job to then focus on their passion. Cause mm -hmm. you don't want to, you don't want to be an entrepreneur making zero money. If you have to, you know, grow a family and you'll know, pay your rent. So right. you, you gotta, you might have to get a real job first before you can pivot to truly focus on your passion. And you know, it sounds like you did that very well in your career. A lot of people have done very, very well moving exactly from that path from being employed, doing the side hustle, yeah. growing it. And then of course, you know, exceeding anything that they had made previously, but it is a path that requires real consideration and thought. And I think sometimes we get so enamored with the success stories and there are a lot of them. So there's a good reason to think it can work and it probably will if you have the right pieces in place. But a lot of people I think fail through this journey as well as many others because they didn't have a right, you know, they didn't have a mentor guiding them. 
They didn't yep. necessarily unpack the you know the situation more fully. They weren't necessarily prepared for you know market conditions or other factors that they couldn't really anticipate. And so they're left holding the it's bag. All about timing. <laughs> timing, yes, yeah, a lot of things. It's a lot of things. And sometimes you have to humble yourself, I think, to say, okay, I'm going to start with this. I'm going to get my feet wet. I'm not going to hold out for the yep. ideal, ideal position because it may or may not come. But in the meantime, start to establish your value and your skills. And eventually you'll have real substance to bring to the market. It's a great way to go about it. So let me ask you this, um, you know, as a founder, we're talking about challenges. So I think it's a perfect segue. Um, what was your greatest challenge as a founder of a business? I know you've had multiple attempts at it or, you know, stops along the way, but let's focus on your current, on your current business, you know, as you got started there. I'd say initially one of the biggest challenges with not having any startup capital, you know, I grew this business, uh, you know, from my basement back in the day, graduating college. And I, you know, sold some random things to get money and that was it. I completely bootstrapped this thing. I've never raised any money and it's really hard to you know, hire people and afford to buy inventory when you don't have very much money. So I had to scale the business very organically and that certainly held back um, our growth in the early years. And you know, even today, just trying to buy, you know, very large lots of Apple computers, you know, we're constrained by our line of credit and other funds that we yeah. have available. So, you know, I, it's not a bad way to do it. It's okay to grow organically, but it is a, you know, very big constraint on the business. So, mm -hmm. you, you know, make sure you know what you're getting into, uh, you know, businesses require a lot of capital for inventory and other things like that. Right. And you mentioned one other thing that I'd like to probe a little bit more as well, Brian, and I don't know how much hiring you've been doing very recently, but everyone I talk to, nonprofit, for-profit, people are just struggling to find people, you know, people that will work for them, whether it's because of all the, uh, the, the, um, the, the, the loans and, 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 and other monies that were made available through unemployment. Uh, a lot of folks, I think, felt kind of, you know, cushy there for a while. They didn't have to do anything. And they were still getting money coming in. And now I'm trying to find quality people and I can't do it uh, on a regular basis. So I don't know if it's a struggle you've had, but I'm curious to know how you feel employers can differentiate themselves besides for pay. Pay is obviously a factor that people look at. But what else would you advise? It's not enough anymore. <laughs> Whatever it is, it doesn't seem to be enough. Right. But besides for that, even when people pay more money, they're not finding necessarily the people that they want. So yeah. what advice would you give to other business owners that want to find good quality people and stick out in a crowded market where everybody seems to be looking for good people? We rate all our hiring ads to talk about the passion for Apple that we're looking for. So those people see that and there's not many businesses that focus on Apple. So if you've been an Apple fanboy or fangirl your whole life and you like tinkering with Apple products, you know, very natural fit to come over and work at Sawyer Mac. So that we actually have not had any problem hiring. Uh, we just hired uh, someone last week and uh, you know, we found him on the day one of posting our hiring ad. The number one place I recommend hiring right now is indeed.com. And they have a really nice AI form that you fill out and you're finding uh, matches immediately after you've mm. you know, kind of completed that. So, you know, uh, for your business, you basically, you know, say what you're looking for, then it asks you to rate these resumes. And then after you've done that, the people are just, you know, flooding in basically on here and you pay per resume and you get a ton of really good um, potential people. 
Well, that sounds good. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of recruiters that are doing it. Um, I guess you'd say the old fashioned way. So it's a bit of a dance, but yeah, finding people online, I think is, is more and more popular. Um, let's go and back. Another, another suggestion yeah, too, ahead. is I think people are really, you know, um, flaky if you don't get them right away. So, you know, when there's someone that you think you might want to hire, you have to just jump on it because they're getting inundated with other opportunities. And, you know, you wait, you wait one more day, they might be gone. Hmm. So you gotta, you gotta act quickly. Yeah, no, I think it's true. I think people who are there are getting grabbed up like nothing. So what what would be a piece of advice, Brian, if you're mentoring a a young, a new leader, somebody who's walking through, let's say, 10, 15, 20 years behind you career-wise, considering their youth, the the situation of, 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 of the current marketplace, the experience you've had, what would be a piece of advice that you would share with such a young emerging leader? It's someone I'm looking to bring up as a high potential person, I would you know, recommend they really focus on learning and grit. And if they have the grit, they'll be able to get through you know, anything that comes their way. If there's a tough situation at home or at work, they'll be able to fight through it. And typically, I turn to my passion to be able to you know, have, have the right type of grit. And the second thing, learning is if you're not a lifelong learner, you're obviously just going to fall behind this point in time. The world is moving way too fast for someone to stay still and get stuck in their old ways. So if you're not keeping up with you know, technology and new business ideas and you know, what's on the forefront, uh, ultimately you're going to fall behind. And yeah. you know, looking out like 10, 15 years from now, we're going to live in such a different world. If you're not willing to, have, to, willing to change and learn, uh, you're going to kind of be left behind and you won't have those jobs that are, you know, forward thinking and then, you know, go out a couple more decades. There's going to be so many jobs that robots can do. If you're not willing to be super creative and, you know, think differently, I think, I think you're going to be out of a job. Sure. Yeah. No, that's great advice. Um, you know, I do hear often how the best CEOs and the most successful leaders read a ton. Uh, I don't, I don't read as much <clears throat> as I should, but I do listen um, to audio books <laughs> all the time. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting because this book, which I, which I've written, um, looks like a, I guess the, the, the background makes it, uh, hard, hard. To it blurs see. out. It blurs out. So I, I have to unblur, but it says becoming the new boss. <laughs> at least you can see my name at the bottom there. Anyway, um, it is written, it was written for new leaders. I haven't yet made it an audio book. And I keep saying to myself, well, if that's how I consume content, that I met her. You need sure that to. Says, you have a good. You have a good voice. You could read it. I appreciate. It. No, I, I. I know that I could. I just never did, and I think I got to put it on my bucket list, maybe for the summer. Um, one, but yeah, one more I, suggestion for audiobooks. Go ahead, Are please. you familiar with an app called Blinkist? I'm not. Go ahead. It's like every you know, major business book condensed down into 15 minutes. It's like the cliff notes of business books, and you know, typically they're read by a professional reader, but you also could have the opportunity to read your own on there. And that mm. is my number one way to consume books. You know, you have a one minute intro, you could decide you don't want to listen to it if you don't like that. At the end, you have a one minute final thoughts, really condense everything down. And that's typically what I want. I want those, you know, two to three takeaways that I would have gotten, you know, years ago from reading an entire book and spending 12 hours. I can get mm. it now in 10 minutes. And so you that, find you know, that it's that, enough on point that you really yeah, get something. They've, they've really distilled it. It's so much better than like a Cliff Notes guide in the past. They, they've really hit home on it. And even Tim Cook flew out to meet with the company and talk to them about their app. Uh, they're mm. somewhere over in Europe. So yeah, mm. really cool organization. And it's like a hundred bucks and you get every single book for a year. So wow. it's amazing. Okay. So I definitely have to look at that. 
All right. So um, now you can read. Now you can read two books a day. <laughs> at the least, at the least, because yeah. I'm I'm in the car. I would say probably a minimum of an hour and a half round trip total. Uh, oh wow! So yeah, I'm not I'm not from you know. I look. I live in New York, uh, New Jersey, and I go back and forth into New York State quite a bit. So um, as you probably have heard, you know, traffic here isn't great. Um, and so, and, and there's distance involved. Correct. I mean, I'm going sometimes 20, 30 miles each way. So it's a, it's a bit of a distance and I definitely have time to listen. Although I do my calls then I'll do a lot of things, but if I know I can hit up uh, a book in 15 minutes and get it done, that definitely sounds tempting. So I'm going to let me, let me throw it. out a book idea. I'm curious if you listen to it. It's called the ultimate sales machine by Chet Holmes. No, I've got a few sales books in my in my library. I've got some great. This dude got... is a sales genius. Mm-hmm. He worked okay. under Charlie Munger of the <clears throat> Berkshire Hathaway Company, sure. and he was growing over a hundred percent a year for like a decade in a row. I mean, wow. it was incredible. Okay, so you've given me some homework here, which is good. <laughs> which is good. I try to learn a it. little. I try to learn a lot from my guests, and all and your like, listeners now can yeah, download. Yeah, no, I know. I'm being selfish. I don't know anything about them, but uh, no, of course, everybody. We certainly want to. We certainly want to learn and grow, uh, and that's why we're here. So, my last question for this segment, and this is a question I ask all of my guests, is: What would you say, Brian, was your biggest failure? I know we've all had challenges. We learn from those challenges, hopefully. And of course, as I bring really, really quality people onto the show, I, I want to remind my audience all the time that. Nobody that you see that is successful started that way, right? Every winner was once a beginner and we, we, we misstep along the way. We often learn from those, from those failures and that sometimes prompts my greatest success. The book I mentioned before could never have been written had I not um, had multiple missteps, especially as a head of school. And so curious, Brian, what your biggest failure looked like and how have you grown from it? I think from an outside in perspective, our biggest failure as a company was probably our largest time we got scammed. This is about um, a decade ago, but really, really hurt me um, as a business person. And it was super hard to overcome. Um, We got scammed for about a quarter million dollars. And this was, this was all the profit that I had built up in the first uh, four years of my business. And I lost it overnight. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was in a dark place. It was super, super hard to, to kind of push through at that point. You know, I mentioned grit and perseverance earlier. I mean, when something like that happens, you could have all the grit in the world and it's, it's still hard to push through. Um, and, you know, I never, I didn't see it coming. And I, you know, I wired money to someone overseas that had Apple product for me and they, they scammed me. But before that, they were a good person on the internet. They had a real company. I had a friend that knew them everything checked out. And so there was really no way that I saw that I could have avoided it. Mm. And now I only do large purchases on my credit card or PayPal, and I'm willing to pay the fee to cover it. It's kind of my insurance plan. So that's never, hasn't, hasn't happened to me like that ever again. Um, But that lesson just, you know, taught me a lot. You, You can do all your research and you can still lose. And that can happen to anyone in life. Um, but I think it sounds it, like the bigger lesson here, if I may jump in, first of all, I was sure. going to talk about your grit comment earlier, because I do teach about growth mindset and grit all the time. And we didn't fully unpack it, but I think anyone who's familiar with Angela Duckworth and her TED talk, or just the general issue of being, like you mentioned, to persevere 
through challenge. That's really that's yeah. what it is about. But I think, you know, it sounds to me what I would take away hearing your story, I, I can't tell you what you took away, but from my vantage point, the idea that you kept going, that you, that you whether it's exactly. a faith, faith in, in a higher being, faith in yourself, whether it's just knowing that for every one of these big punches in the gut, there are going to be many, many more opportunities to do the right thing and to, and to benefit from the value that you are contributing to the marketplace and beyond, um, that can keep a person going, even with a setback that is as, as profound as the one that you described. It, it was that willingness to keep going and to know that there was something better for me, you know, going forward. Um, I've learned a term called positive intelligence since then. And it basically it's, you know, looking back at that bad experience, I wouldn't have had all the good experiences since then had that not happened to me, you know, in theory. So yeah, it took, it took a, you know, that growth mindset. I had it, but you know, I almost like lost it after that for a little bit. So I had to get my head right in order to, you know, keep pushing But then as soon as you're back at it again, you're finding new deals and making new opportunities and, you know, things start getting better. It took me seven years to pay off that debt. Um, but I, I persevered and it was just going every day, just hustling. Well, good for you. And, and, and thank you for sharing that. And the other point I want to just emphasize before we transition to the rapid fire is that, you know, it's not always our fault. In fact, often it's, it's really not, you know, did I make mistakes in my leadership? But you still blame yourself as the problem. <laughs> yes. Well, that's where I was going with it. That's exactly yeah. right. We say to ourselves, what did I do wrong? And too often in general, you know, I, it could be something as silly as me getting up in the morning and seeing that somebody left the lights on. I'm like, who was the last one up? And who am I going to blame? And it's a matter of being able to say to yourself, okay, you know, nobody's perfect. If you see it regularly, you know, at some point you step in and you say, hey, we got we to gotta fix this. But for the most part, um, you know, we have to, I guess, uncondition or recondition our thought processes that not everything has to be a zero-sum game of cause and effect yeah. or blame. Um, sometimes you just, you do your due diligence, you do what's right, or you think what's right, you put your heart and your soul, you make mistakes along the way, but you think it should be good enough. And sometimes if it's in somebody else's hands, it may not be good enough anyway, but you have to be able to hold your head up high, say, this is what I did. This is what I've learned from it. I really hope that it's going to be better off the next time. And on top of it, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and wallow in not just self-pity, but also this feeling of guilt because it doesn't serve. Right. I'm, I'm reminded. Exactly. Of yeah. Don't, don't beat yourself up too much over this. I mean, if you're kind to yourself and you allow yourself to have mistakes because we're all human, you'll be better off for it in the long run. I love it. Yeah. I mean, Tom Hanks, the scene from Bridge of Spies, it's one of the few few movies I've, I've seen in the last 30 years, let alone quote. But that scene when he's got, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie, but he's got this this, this spy, this alleged spy that he's, that he's uh, representing in court. And numerous times he's having conversation with him and the guy is like stone faced you know, very, very little emotion, even when he's talking to him about real consequences, like, you know, the, the possibility of being, of being um, executed and, and he's not reacting. And, and, and Hank says to him, um, you don't seem upset by what I just shared. He's like, would it help? And he says it multiple times. And I hate those words. Would it help? It's so it true. It resonates in my mind. Every time I have a moment where I say I could just sit here and have a life of regret, and I could be worried, but would it help, right? Worrying about what might happen, it's not gonna serve. 
And so you have to be able to turn I love that, that switch advice. off and, and to move forward. And it seems like you did that really, really well. So on the topic of to, switching to, off, to your point, I think it actually yeah, hurts you way more. I mean, if you are beating yourself up, it'll, it'll hold you back from then having the perseverance to keep going. So you have to allow yourself that space to get over it, you know, fairly quickly. Yes, you are so right. Okay. So with the rapid fire, as I think I shared with you before we started recording, short and sweet responses. I'd love to start with a quote, something that you live by Brian or think about often. I'll drop a Steve Jobs quote here since I love Apple and Steve. It's don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. Mm. And of all the opinions people gave me about, you know, why I should buy other types of products and things like that, I had to tune it out and focus on my passion of Apple. Wow. I don't think I've heard that one from Steve before. So thank you for sharing that. What keeps was, you that motivated? That is uh, Stanford commencement. Oh, good stuff. We'll have to look it up. Second, what keeps you motivated? Family. Uh, very motivated uh, by my parents, their, their continued work ethic. My dad's a doctor now for 45 years, gone to work every single day. And uh, that's really motivated me in life to see the work ethic that he's, he's put out there. Beautiful. A, a really neat thing about Cincinnati, other than the football team. They're not your bungles. They're not <laughs> your I can't bungles say anymore. the bagels? Oh, no. You could, but other than the bagels. I uh, just teased um, I'll say the river. The river has brought a lot of prosperity to our city. And, you know, 100 years ago, we were like the number one beer city in the United States. And that's really helped our city, you know, uh, grow on the map um, you know, since it started a couple hundred years ago. And it is well, if it's you really get nice to there, rock in the liver. If you get back there to number one, I will come and visit. I'm Woo! not a huge there, I'm not a, There's I'm a lot a of huge, breweries down here. I'm not a huge beer guy, but if you're number one, okay. I got to check it out. I got to check it out. <laughs> Okay. And then finally, I ask this of everybody, a productivity tip that helps you to get more done. Sleep. You have to sleep. There is no way that you can work, you know, 14, 16 hour days if you're not getting good sleep. So you need to spend eight hours in bed. That's going to truly help you out and get your brain straight. And if you think you're doing amazing by working really hard and not sleeping, try sleeping and see how much of a difference it makes because your brain will be firing a lot faster. I absolutely love it. And it's so, for some people, it's so counterintuitive because they think, well, sleeping is just going to slow me down. But the quality, the, the yes. sharpness of decisions, the automaticity of things is that you cannot compare. I, I hate sleep from the standpoint that I want to keep going, but if I, yeah. I know I'll just burn out. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not quite at eight hours, but I have moved up to seven plus a morning exercise routine. That, drinking water, those things have really Ooh, love it. transformative for me. Do you All work right, out so, right when you wake up? Yes. It's actually even before prayer now, not because it's more valuable to me than prayer, but just because when I waited till afterwards, it was always then a matter of fitting it in. It was really hard for me to create the consistency of schedule that I needed. But now I wake up, it's the first thing that I do, and then I'm off to my day, prayer, and then I actually study with two of my sons. Both of them are living abroad currently, one in Israel, one in, in Great Britain. So we have morning cool. study time where they're like five, seven hours ahead of me to get that in. And then I'm really, you know, as they say, off to the races. That's so great. You I, guys have three I, time zones going at once, studying together. <laughs> well, That's we're not incredible. studying together, but it is interesting because literally I'll hang up with one and the other one will call me and we'll like have, you know, have the next study session. So it is, it, look, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to have kids. It's a blessing to have it. kids that you can stay connected with. 
and to be able to study something like your you know, religious or traditional values together uh, on a daily basis. It creates con consistency, it creates a sense of purpose, something you're working towards. And just look, and it's, it's an excuse to connect with your kids on a regular basis. Great excuse. I love it. Yeah. So tell us, you've given us so much, Brian, how can um, Lead to Succeed Nation, everybody who's, who's consuming this content and your message today, find you, connect with you, and of course, buy Mac products? <laughs> the Apple best products. way to find me and connect with me is absolutely on LinkedIn. If you search for Brian Burke, I'm the only guy wearing a blue bow tie on there. And my handle is Brian the Mac Man. So very easy to find me there. And if you want to pop over to my website, it's sellyourmac.com, S-E-L-L-Y-O-U-R-M-A-C.com. And you can use my personal promo code MACMAN for a bonus on there. Mm, love it. Okay. So, Brian, uh, like I, I, I often wrap up by, by sharing with my guests, you know, how much they've given. Um, you've shared a ton. Uh, I've enjoyed the conversation immensely. Um, but the selfish part of me just wants one last nugget. So please leave us with a final lesson. Wow, so many lessons out there. I would say focus on your passion. That will truly allow you to have the grit and perseverance to push through in life. But make sure you have the means to do so ahead of that as we discussed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, recording this on a Friday, so I'm going to wish you a Shabbat Shalom. And thank you so much for Shabbat being with me, today, for being with me today. Excuse me. And uh, definitely looking forward to developing this relationship further. Um, thank you, Brian, and um, best of luck with everything. Thank you. Bye, listeners. Bye-bye now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 